Hello and welcome to Founded and Grounded, the podcast for entrepreneurs, for the startup community, for people looking to start a business. Every edition, we take a guest business and we look at their experiences and through them, we offer advice, reality and inspiration for everyone listening. I'm Andrew Parsonage. Welcome aboard. Hope you're all well and staying safe and all those sort of things that you know very well by now. Uh, this is edition number 15, amazingly, and joining me now from somewhere elsewhere in the country, believe it or not, through the magic of video conferencing is business startup guru, Mr. Ollie Collard. Morning, Andrew. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Uh, very good indeed. Ollie's just fresh from changing a nappy. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is all about reality and ollie is just you know he's so committed to founding the grounded that he's stepped away from childcare duties to talk with me this morning about our next guest business ollie how's things all right otherwise yeah all very well thank you really pleased that we've hit the thousand listener mark on the show which is quite a milestone that's great ollie so if this is your first listen or maybe first or second listen We've been doing this since last October, which feels like a geological era ago now, given recent events. And we've been talking to 15 different businesses over this particular series. So, yes, this is our last episode for now. But at the end of the programme, we'll talk a little bit more about our plans for what happens after edition 15. So that's all great, Ollie. Obviously, I'm not going to talk about how things are because <laughs> everything just feels yeah. the same. Nothing's really changed radically since we last spoke. So we're just going to crack on with it. Otherwise, Ollie, a business good for yourself? Yeah, no, it's going really well, actually. I'm speaking to a lot of founders at the moment who are part of the Engine Room, which is a peer support community for founders. Um, and I think at these times where everyone's a bit isolated and not able to connect in a traditional sense, actually having a group of like-minded people who are at a similar stage is really be- beneficial for that support network. So, yeah, business is going well, thank you. Good stuff. And uh, if you're listening to us and you run your own little business or at that particular stage, I hope things are likewise okay for you and that you're hanging in there and uh, obviously keeping talking and networking. And those contacts are definitely a lifesaver at the moment. Okay, well, let's crack on then. Let's not hang about any longer. Ollie, please tell us about this edition's guest, if you would. Yeah, so I sat down with Alex uh, pre-COVID, obviously. Uh, Alex is founder of a legal services firm called Linky Law. Okay, now this is the second podcast in a row where we've talked to someone running a professional services business. And last time it was Zoe at But The Books. Uh, This time it's Alex. Last time it was bookkeeping. This time it's legal services. So there may be some parallel themes and common issues coming out here, Ollie. Definitely, I think so. And I think the underlying factor that may we may tease out is the passion that they both have for what they do. Okay, so Ollie, yes, as you said, you met it with Alex pre-COVID when the world was a, a very different place. And as ever with all our businesses, we start off with the origin story. And this is what Alex had to say about how she got to where she is now. Well, just to give you a little bit of background about what I'm currently doing, I'm running and have for the last five years, more than five years now, run a legal services provider called Linky Law. I started with the idea stage September of 2014 and from then on it took me another six months to quit my job and really get into it full time. The idea initially actually came, I was coming from the legal industry and seeing how inefficiently lawyers were working on the other side of, of things, I was also witnessing how unhappy many customers were, many consumers of the legal industry were 
and it really seemed like there was a disconnect between lawyer and client and that's something that I really wanted to remedy. I had a legal training, I worked in the legal industry and I knew that the traditional legal industry was also not for me. So naturally was looking for something more creative and where I had more power over my own destiny, if you will. I don't think I've ever actually doubted whether I would start a business or not. <laughs> it felt like a natural move. My father is an entrepreneur, so um, maybe it's in the genes. <laughs> Uh, so can you just expand a bit more on that original problem you were trying to solve, Alex? Sure. So on the one hand, I was seeing lawyers who were working in a way that hadn't really changed in 300 years more. And then I had personal situations with my friends who were either facing legal issues or starting businesses, and they were always intimidated by the legal process. I mean, it's hard. It's like going to the doctors. You're really putting a large responsibility in somebody else's hand that you don't know, that you don't know if you can trust. The information they're providing you is specialist information, so you don't know if that's accurate or not, whether you understand it. And I think in those situations, many people go to lawyers when they're in a situation of crisis or they want to get something sorted. You want to talk to someone that you can trust. That's really what I wanted to bring to the, to the legal industry, and that was, I think, my motivation. So Alex, you mentioned your dad being an entrepreneur and obviously the world of business wasn't alien to you. Are there any moments from your childhood, looking back on now, where you thought, ah, that makes sense? Yes, definitely. So yes, yeah, so I think looking back at my childhood, there are a lot of hints of entrepreneurship. The first is around my education, just the way my parents formed me. I wasn't raised with many limitations, mental limitations. I mean, I was there was only part of my family that was insisting on a traditional career path. But I quickly saw, understood, and so did other members of my family that we live in a, in a phase in time where we no longer are working 40 years in the same company, where now you know people change jobs every couple of years. You can change career every five years. I mean, you can have a million careers. We're no longer in this in this attitude of having to decide on something and stick with it for the rest of our lives. So that's the mentality I went into my life with. So I think I was always trying to sell something. I was that kid. Easter, I would bake cookies and go and sell them. Christmas, I would go bake cookies and sell them in my building. And always trying to collect things and just create something out of nothing. I really loved that. I, love, I loved creation games and I think I was a, a child boss. I always... I always, I had little uh, baby siblings. I was commanding them, but I was leading most of my friendship groups as well in a way that was pretty natural, organic. And I think those are just parts of my personality that contributed to my path choice. Can you tell everyone a bit about the services that you offer at Linky Law and how you went from that initial, I suppose, brokering of services and not doing it in-house to actually offering in-house services yourself? We pivoted about a hundred times <laughs> since we started. In other words, we really tried something, saw what worked, saw what didn't work, changed our offering on that basis, and we've done that many times over until we hit what we call product market fit, which is when you finally build a product or a service that you feel there's mass adoption or greater adoption to, and, and a business model and a, a sense of profitability starts to, to form. 
But until then, you know, we started as a legal marketplace because I wanted to provide transparency to the legal industry. So, so we wanted to be able to have people be informed on their decision making when choosing a lawyer and also have access to transparency and costs, so being able to compare costs of lawyers. We stopped this after about a year. First, we noticed that no matter how much we vet the lawyers that we are working with, we cannot change their behavior from the outside. That if we really wanted to provide the legal services that we knew we could, we had to do it ourselves. The second thing was that our business model was that we were taking a 10% referral fee off lawyers' work. There was no viability to make this a profitable business. We wanted to take this thing slow. We wanted to grow it more organically. We didn't have this desire to really go through a lot of founding rounds to become answerable to angels and to VCs. We decided to pivot at that stage and then since then have continued to expand and improve on our products. And I mean, I say we've reached product market fit, but we keep innovating. We keep trying to find better ways to serve our clients. We keep expanding our areas of expertise. And now we are offering services in corporate, commercial, intellectual property, employment, data protection, and the whole GDPR, and some aspects of commercial property. So it's really for us about providing this holistic, all-in-one service. Our goal is really to grow with our clients because what we love about what we do is the businesses that we serve. The thing that's important to remember about the path that we've gone through is really around pivoting. It's not a failure, it's completely okay to pivot and actually I think it's admirable because it means that you are listening to your customers, you are listening to your market, you're thinking about commercial terms sensibly. And if there's a piece of advice that I would have given myself is listen to your customers a bit faster. Know your customers and really know what they want. On two, know what you want out of a business, how you want to grow a business. Do you want to grow fast? Do you want to grow slow? Do you want to be profitable? Or do you want to create a, an Uber-type business that has a long way to profitability but really scales fast? You know, there's pros and cons to both, but I would really recommend putting some thought into it. Right, where to begin with all of this, Holly? Let's just talk about the genesis of this business idea, and not for the first time in this series, an entrepreneur has recognised the inefficiencies of a current way of working, of a current system, and also seen the poor experiences of other people. And this is what's prompted her to do what she's done. Yeah, she wanted to shake up the legal industry, obviously being her lawyer herself and seeing these inefficiencies firsthand. But, you know, she, she wasn't a business person, uh, although she had some entrepreneurial support from her family members. She had a lot to learn in those early days. Let's just talk about family for a second, because I think for the first time in this series, we have someone who talks to their childhood quite specifically and about how they were as a child, how that has since informed the way that they've lived their life. And I love the idea that growing up with that encouragement about living your life without boundaries and having that mentality has set up in life pretty well, hasn't it? I think it has. It's given her that confidence to go out there and achieve what she wants to achieve. In her own words, being a lawyer is about mitigating risk and it's the opposite of being a, an entrepreneur. But she's had that fundamental belief and that mindset to achieve her goals and, and obviously start the business. Alex made a, a few interesting points. So I just want to go through these with you, Ollie, and just get your thoughts on these. Trust was a word that she mentioned briefly about how, going back to the original problem that she saw with the legal services industry, that 
the experience of people was that this is a big deal if they go into a relationship with a legal firm and that trust therefore becomes a massive issue in the same way that you know when you send your child to school you entrust them with a teacher or with that particular school likewise if you put your car in the garage for an expensive repair you trust that the mechanic will do the right thing and it's the same thing here and i think trust is a value that can be overlooked or underestimated sometimes and it, it can't have a price put on it can it it, it, like you say, it's very hard to put a price on it, but it's one of the most fundamental things in terms of building relationships. And that's what you're doing when you're starting a business. You're building relationships with many people, whether that's your customers, your employees, your investors, your stakeholders, the wider community. And good relationships are built on trust. And if people trust you, then they're more likely to stay a customer and also refer other people onto your business. Do you think trust gets overlooked sometimes, Ollie? Do you think in this headlong rush to set up a business that you overlook that almost like very human aspect of a business that ultimately a transaction comes down to someone believing that they'll give them something of value? Definitely. And I think, you know, her trust with her clients is going to develop over time and probably grow as their businesses grow as well. So I think if you build trust early on, then they've got confidence to go back to Linky Law and Alex's services as a business develops so i think yeah trust is fundamental let's just pick on a couple of other points i wanted to mention firstly about pivoting which i know is a favorite phrase of yours i didn't, I didn't realize this was a phrase or the, the word pivot has taken a whole new meaning of it since i started doing these podcasts with you so i've, I've started <laughs> using it in my own personal life which is great um let's talk about pivot, pivoting here yeah Thanks, i mean it is, it is an overused word in the startup world actually the word pivot and we do on the show not try and succumb to all the jargon, but um, it is, as you have identified, that it is a big word in the, in the startup world. And essentially, it just means that, you know, you're changing course. And because you're a lean business, you're sailing your own ship, you can actually change direction relatively quickly. But it's having the confidence to do so. Pivot in the context here was that uh, Alex confessed that she probably pivoted 100 times. And to some people, that might sound like a failure, but probably the opposite here because actually it showed that she's been very flexible very agile and responding to i think uh, what people were saying what customers were saying so and the point she made specifically was not to see it as a failure that fact that you've had to pivot all these times that it's actually a strength i think so i think you've got to listen to what your customers are saying um, and obviously she's done that very well and and changed course on on lots of many occasions i guess i guess you've got to have an overarching strategy but as long as the 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 kind of mini pivots fit in with that overarching strategy then yeah it's it's a great thing to do because you're you're listening to what the market wants Mm. well it's obvious alex is very much in control of a business which might sound like a bit of an obvious thing to say but sometimes businesses can have a habit of running away from you or going in a direction that you hadn't anticipated the other thing she was very clear about was that she's chosen the trajectory for her business not just around pivoting but also about the speed at which it grows so i'm sure a lot of people ultimately want their business to grow that's the first objective but she here is controlling the rate of that growth so it doesn't get out of control that she can manage that and then make it her own and not having to rely on others to do so and and i thought that was quite an interesting point actually because that might be contrary to some people's ideas of of growing a business there's different ways to obviously grow a business and she's chosen to grow it more organically and having that full control over the business rather than scaling it and obviously seeking rounds of investment and being answerable to angels or vcs so she's chosen to grow it more organically and grow it that way 
there's no right answer. It comes down to your personality, really, and how you want to take your own business forwards. Yeah, I was going to say, because it'll be horse of the courses here, won't it? And some businesses will want to have that reliance or will want to have those sort of relationships. And so it's very much down to what you, the entrepreneur, the business owner, is, is comfortable with. Definitely. And I think also, if you are looking for external investment at some point, the more you grow the business organically, if you do need investment later down the line, then obviously, because you've got more traction, the business is going to be more valuable and you're going to be giving away less of the business later down the line. So if she does choose to scale the business later, then ultimately her business is worth more. Okay, thanks, Ollie. Let's move on now to the second part of the conversation with Alex. And regular listeners will know that we always like to delve into the challenges and the nitty gritty of the obstacles that they had to overcome to get to where they are now as a business owner and a business. And it's very timely, and we'll let Alex take up the story here, that actually it's a barriers to entry or a culture and behaviour that could have got in the way of things, but luckily it didn't. Anyway, let's, let's hear Alex talk to this. I'm 27 years old right now, so when I started my business, I was 21 or 22, I can't remember, but I was very young. I was entering an industry that's dominated by middle-aged white men, like many industries are still, which I had no problems with. I was lucky enough to have wonderful parents who really made me believe in myself and always told me that everything is possible for hard work. So I, I entered it perhaps naively. <laughs> in hindsight, I think it's actually this naivete that kept me going and enabled me to achieve some of the things that I have achieved. I think that, especially in the legal industry, you become, as you become more experienced, as you grow up in inverted commas, you start being more pessimistic. I don't want to use the word indoctrinated, but it becomes harder and harder to make a change, right? Because you, you, habits are ingrained and, you know, lawyers are learned to mitigate risks. And by nature, that's a bit contrary to what an entrepreneur does. So I didn't have that. Um, teaching ingrained in me I had I had this entrepreneurial fever that whatever you want is possible um, but there was one particular episode where my business partner and I went to meet a law firm partner and so we at that time we had to get law firms to partner with us we weren't yet providing legal services we were arranging more of a marketplace type situation so without even having a website at this stage I had to convince partners of bigger and smaller law firms to essentially sign a contract with me <laughs> promising to give me a part of their revenue if I brought them clients and screening them and interviewing them in the process of it so anyway I remember approaching this one partner of a medium-sized firm and we went to the meeting with my business partner and it was really you know we we're sitting at a table in a conference room and I was directly facing the partner and my business partner was on my side from the beginning of the meeting I don't know whether it was because I was a woman or because I was young <laughs> maybe both maybe neither but the law firm partner was almost completely ignoring me ignoring me <laughs> my business partner sensed that and he directed the conversation back to me asking me to explain the concept of what we're trying to achieve and after my two-minute monologue, I think, the law firm partner just turned to my business partner and asked him a question. And so the meeting went on like this. I didn't get discouraged. I kept talking as if nothing happened. Little by little, there was more engagement. And I still remember this to this day because I was shocked about the way that this man had behaved. 
certainly an experience and I know that many women and many young entrepreneurs entering you know uh, an experience-based industry are facing similar issues and if there's anything I would share on that front it's not you know how bad he is I think he's just ignorant but it really is what you make of it who you face is inevitably out of your control your reaction and how you decide to hold yourself in this situation what you decide to take away from it is it's all up to you and, and kind of looking back on that incident now in hindsight would you change your reaction to it or if that happened again now would you call this person out on that that's a very good question I feel that now I probably would I equally feel that now it doesn't happen at all anymore I get the opposite reaction so the, the tables have turned in, in this sense If I would call it out, I, I'd have to find myself in a situation like that again to really tell you 100% what I would do. But if I were to call it out, I think it would be an invitation for the person s sitting in front of me to have a look at their behavior and where that's coming from rather than picking on them. It's just, it would be an opportunity for, for us to explore that together if they're open to it, of course. Alex, are there any moments in business that you've really learned the hard way? Yes. <laughs> I came into business, as I said, from the legal industry, so I had no business background whatsoever. And though I was very keen to learn and, and really on, you know, trying to educate myself as fast as possible, I actually just spent the last five years making sure I was good enough for my job. <laughs> I've made a lot of mistakes along, along the way and a lot of things I've learned the hard way. I think particularly in the early stages, I didn't know so well what to spend money on. And as a result of that, I think I've wasted a lot of money, put it into the wrong things. I think when you're starting a business and you just, you got to think about finance and legal and marketing and business development and website development and lead generation and all these million other things, it would be very rare unless you're an experienced entrepreneur that you know all of it already. And so for me, what, what was a challenge personally is like what to spend my money on, like what's actually important, what's secondary. And I think that part of my learning there, that which was important, it's an art of doing this like not too much and also to make sure you just know the basics. So for example, I, tr I entrusted a lot of, of the work to a marketing agency who was overcharging and actually... You know, we didn't have this whole creative process of together deciding what work would be done. I really just delegated that. And in hindsight, I think that was a, a mistake on my part. And I learned the hard way from it because it cost money. <laughs> and actually, it just took me longer to get into this marketing side of things. And once I did, I realized, wow, I'm so talented. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But I realized that actually it's, it's an interesting area of business. It's an art. Without knowing the basics of marketing, I was not able possibly to direct an agency, a consultant, or even an employee to develop the right strategy and to implement that. I recognize the importance of just, especially in the early stages, having that curiosity to get into every side of the business. And I say it's a balance because if you do that too much, if you go too deep into an area, it takes you away from what you should be doing in the business, which is, as one of the heads of the business, is to make sure that you're, you're handling all those plates at once, not just one. So Alex, can you tell us a bit about your work-life balance and your support network that's around you? So there are two very important topics in my life and I hope for all entrepreneurs. I got to a point in my life about four years ago 
where I was lucky enough to achieve early success, not just professionally speaking, but I was happy in my personal relationships as well and just overall in a good environment, I think. But I was deeply, deeply unhappy. And I had no balance in life, no real understanding of what I wanted in the long term. I saw that, you know, achievements that I was excited for did not bring me the level of satisfaction as I thought they would. I was looking for happiness and felt like there was a hole inside of me. And I turned to many different solutions. I went to psychologists and psychiatrists and healers and it felt like nothing was really fulfilling, nothing was really answering. And, and then by chance, purely by chance, I met a spiritual teacher who, in our first meeting, changed my life. Not because, you know, we came up with a whole big plan on how this would happen, but he changed my life because for the first time, he told me something different than everybody else did. He told me to accept myself just as I am, to not try and change anything at all that if I felt unhappy to just be unhappy, feel this unhappiness, feel what it feels like if I felt a hole in my chest to really sense this hole and move in without trying to reject, without trying to make it end. And this ironically made it end. I discovered that I, when I finally accepted myself as I am, then change happened. I mean, he's been my support system ever since. I think my business partner, uh, Caleb, was... Also a huge influence in my life. He was a very early stage mentor. And so was my father. And I've had many mentors along the way. I think having two to three mentors at any given time, no matter what stage you are in your career or in your life, uh, whether you're employed or an entrepreneur, by the way, it's so hugely helpful. We often feel like we're so alone. And then we reach out to our network. We reach out to our mentors. We reach out to teachers, to friends, to people who are in the same position as we are. And we discover, whoa, actually, there's so much help and support out there. I was just too blind to see. I was just too afraid to share to see. So I've never gotten as much out of just sharing, 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 sharing. And I'm so grateful for the people who have and are supporting me, really. <laughs> right then. So, again, a few things to talk through there. And it feels quite time that we're talking about what feels like an unbalanced or an equal landscape here at this particular climate in this case the demographic of the legal industry and I guess what Alex was trying to break into and her story there which is very interesting about being in that meeting and effectively being blanked by the person across the table the potential partner is probably one that we've heard many times in many places Ollie isn't it yeah and I think Alex handled the situation very well I mean she's entering an industry as you say where there are many barriers to entry and, you know, you need to be obviously qualified to become a lawyer, but it is male dominated, particularly by white males as well. And and she's going into that sector as a young woman. So she's very much upsetting the demographic of that industry. And I think that tenacity to actually want to change things is an inherent value built within her. Yeah. What I was really impressed by also was her philosophy that rather than reading against that particular person's attitude and I thought the question you asked Ollie was really interesting as, as Alex said as well but the fact that she tried to engage that individual that she tried to bring them round to how she worked or or trying to work with that person rather than simply calling them out and I don't know walking out the room or, or basically just having a bit of a rant so it shows there, there are two approaches here and the point she made about you can't control other people's behaviors 
but what you can do is try and bring them round to your way of thinking, your approach. And that can be in a whole range of contexts, Ollie, not just a sort of like a male, female or an age thing or a race thing. It can be it can be in many different circumstances where it's it's a skill in business and I guess in life generally. Yeah, I think it's a massive skill. I think ultimately what Alex has is probably a high degree of emotional intelligence. But maybe her gut instinct was to walk out or get angry and tell this person off essentially. But you know, she's chosen to lift herself above it and actually try and convert them into her way of thinking and where she's coming from. So I think in business, there's going to be have many applications for that. So I think, yeah, hats off to her. Something else I thought was interesting was she was talking about work-life balance as well. And, and that actually, when she was going through like downtimes, it wasn't right at the beginning when it was that uphill battle to get a business off the ground and all the stress and heartache that comes with that. It's actually once she'd reached a level of success and she wasn't getting anything back. And it's quite curious that because I think a lot of us strive for a situation where we, we come in those uplands where you know we're, we're having success and everything's going really well. And it was interesting how she was feeling quite apathetic about that. And actually, it was down to the advice of someone to say to her, look, it's right to feel that way. And you just need to accept that and, and share that with others and, and, and to talk about it. Yeah. And I think it comes back to your visions and goals and what you want to do. I think she achieved that initial success that she set out for. And once she achieved it, she probably felt a sense of, I've done it. So what now? Like, where do I go next? So I guess she just felt potential a lack of direction and where she wanted to take the business and her life going forwards. Yeah, it's something that a lot of people have picked up with Olympic athletes. You know, after the Olympics, they won the gold medal. What now? They get the blues, basically. Mm. Uh, and I don't think it's something that's often been talked about in business. It's often been talked about in a sporting context. But I think you yeah. raised an interesting one here about what happens when you've got to that high ground, that achievement, that, that peak, if you like. What next? And yeah, maybe something we'll come back to again. Yeah, I think so. And I think the next part of that journey for her is obviously still growing the business, but a bit about giving back and obviously some work that she does to mentor as well. So I think that's probably the next stage of her development as a person, but also as her business journey. You're listening to Founded and Grounded. Reality, reassurance and inspiration every fortnight for the startup community. Okay, Ali, before we continue and get to the concluding part of the conversation with Alex, I just want to revisit a special offer that we're running just for these final two editions of Founding and Grounded. And it's someone that you actually work with with your business, Ollie. This is William from the Futures.io or Futures.io. So what did William do for Enterprise Orchard, Ollie? So they basically helped me scale my graphic design. So I put in a request on their online portal. The next business day, a prototype of a variety of prototypes are delivered and then I choose which one I want so it enables you to get ideas out your head get ideas for new products and services out there in the real world at scale and quickly okay well as I mentioned William had a very special offer a very lucrative offer for founders and grander listeners and here he is with a few more details about just that so ask yourself this question what's the difference between me and my competitors right now Most likely, you'll notice that one of the main differentiators is the way you present yourself. If you want to be competitive, you have to stand out. But getting high quality graphic design today has become slow and expensive to get. 
My name is William and I am the founder of TheFutures.io. At TheFutures.io, we help businesses like yours go to market quickly with unlimited world-class graphic design delivered in less than 24 hours while costing you 86% less than any agency or online marketplace. So get on this special offer of 40% off your first payment by applying the code SHOW40 on checkout. Again, that's TheFutures.io. See you on the other side. So here we are then. We're at the concluding part of our conversation with Alex. And as we do with all our guests, we ask them to share that one piece of advice, that piece of wisdom, that nugget of gold for other entrepreneurs, whether aspiring or at a similar stage. We can always learn wherever we're at on your business journey. And so this is what Alex had to share. I would definitely recommend not getting too bogged down in this intellectual process of starting a business. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of things to think about. But the main reason for starting a business should be passion. Follow your passion as much as you can. There will be things that you don't like doing, but as much as you can, just follow your passion. Even when you're thinking about the idea for your business, think about this idea. Does it make you grin or does it make you smile? Can you feel your heart pumping a bit faster? Really listen to your body and that and the resonance that it has because you're really dedicating your life. This is like having a child or getting married. This is a big commitment. And if you're not passionate about it, you're not going to last. You're not going to enjoy yourself and there's no point to doing any of that. Follow your passion. It will bring you incredible amounts of joy. So Alex, it would be really interesting to get your thoughts on the future of the legal industry and specifically the support for startups as well. Sure. So the future of the legal industry, in my opinion, is still relatively uncertain. When you think about working with a lawyer, I think most people are still hoping to see a, uh, to hear a lawyer at the other end of the phone. Uh, there has to be a balance between human interaction and tech. The reality is when it comes to you know the back end of it, the legal process itself, how lawyers work, we estimate at Linky Law that between 50 and 70% of a lawyer's work can be either automated or streamlined. In terms of the legal industry for startups, I think that there is a common and increasingly common misconception within the startup industry that legal is about contracts. And whilst contracts are certainly important, the important parts of the process in actually getting a contract drafted up is the advice that you get surrounding it. That's where the value is. That's the reason why lawyers charge a lot. It's because they've accumulated a huge amount of knowledge and just by listening to you for 15, 20 minutes, they can likely give you um, a solution or several solutions that are, are legally sound and match what you're looking to achieve. And when you're just giving the importance to a contract, the issue with that is that then your end result is a contract. But actually the end result is having a clear path of how to achieve what you want. And this is a, a misconception and a mistake because when you're just thinking about getting the contract at the end of the day, you're risking poor quality because you're giving less importance to the surrounding advice and more importance to that piece of paper. And I've seen time and time again, the whole team has seen time and time again, people actually getting into bigger problems because not of not necessarily getting a contract, because of getting the wrong contract, because of not having the right clauses in, because of not getting the right advice. And so uh, because of this, I think the future of the legal industry is, is somewhere where actually the creation of those contracts, there, 
execution of the solution is automated and streamlined, but the advice giving and the strategizing of what the solution is will not. And I think this is a similar pattern that you can see in other industries. And I hope that my explanation of that makes sense when it comes to the legal industry, because it's, it's so important to have the strategy behind the execution in everything you do, including legal. Alex, thank you very much for your time today. Where can people find you online and on your social channels? So Linky Law is the name of my business, L-I-N-K-I-L-A-W. And you can find us on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Instagram, and myself. Uh, I am on those channels as well. You can find me on LinkedIn as Alexandra Eisenegger. You can also find me on Facebook under that name. And on Twitter, I'm Alex underscore Eisenegger. And I'm sure my name, which is quite difficult to write down, will be somewhere in the podcast. (laughs) So really what it comes down to is not to get too bogged down in the intellectual side of your business. Uh, Listen to your body, (laughs) listen to your mind, follow your passion. And if it makes you smile, then you're doing the right thing. Ollie, that seems to be the secret of Alex's success and and a really great human aspect to running a business, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's got to make you it's got to make you smile. It's got to make you get motivated in the morning to get out of bed. I think if you're not driven by what you're doing, then you're probably in the wrong business. So I think it's definitely got to motivate you. Yeah, not many of our guests have actually talked to the physiological side of the business, but it feels quite obvious when you think about it. It's actually you go into business because you feel really passionately and very keenly about something. So I suppose it has to make you smile or to get you energy levels going and if it's not doing that as Alex said then maybe you have to ask yourself a few searching questions and it's not going to be 24 7 grins from cheek to cheek you know there's going to be hard times in there and it's how you how you react to those hard times and how you turn those challenges into a opportunity to grow yourself and grow your business that's how you stay motivated on a continual basis Another aspect to not getting too deep into one particular part of your business is also that could also be quite costly as well, that you spend too much time, say, on on marketing or a website or another aspect that you lose sight of everything. You don't have that bird's eye view of your your business. And that's really important, isn't it? So particularly for the people can help you with that. You could spend a fortune if you went into a deep dive into every area of business, whether that's looking at your SEO or your Instagram stories or whatever it is. You've got to be very targeted about where you spend your limited resources, essentially. Um, And I think Alex put it quite nicely in the sense of, is it a priority or is it a secondary? Is it a nice to have? Is it something you plan in for the future? You've really got to prioritize in business. And I think that's really important when you're wearing so many hats in the early stages of running a startup. And just something to finish on, Alex talked about the future of the legal industry in general. She says it's an uncertain future. Uh, She mentions the phrase legal tech a few times. And what she says, maybe the future is that businesses, legal businesses, and maybe other professional services understand which parts of their service offering they can automate and which parts offer the greatest value add in terms of the human to human relationship and it's it sounds like something that a lot of professional services are working through at the moment yeah definitely Andrew and I think like you say it's a challenge for many industries about what potentially is going to be automated but also what can't be automated like you say there's always going to be that human element and going back to that factor of trust you can't build up trust in a computer in my opinion anyway you need that human interaction but there are going to be elements 
of the future going forwards that are going to be able to be automated and the computer is going to be able to do it quicker by using big data and machine learning. But it's still about that human connection, ultimately. Okay, Ali, thank you very much indeed. Speaking of the future, that's pretty much us done for this series of Founded and Grounded. At this point, we're going to draw a line for the summer holidays. And I use that word holiday in the broadest possible sense because goodness knows what the holidays are going to look like this summer. But it's worth saying that if you are new to the series and you've just joined at a latter stage, don't forget that you have a whole 15 episodes to go at. All of them are roughly about 30 to 35 minutes long. And we feature a broad range of speakers, people, personalities, all kinds of businesses, all quite quirky in their own respective way. And I think it's fair to say, Ollie, that all of them say something a little bit different and you can learn something different from each of the 15 guests that we've spoken to so far. Yeah, most definitely. Even me just sitting down with them and having those conversations, I've definitely taken away something new from each conversation I've had. The the prerequisite of going out and finding these people are that they've got a, an interesting story to tell as well. So I think it's all about stories and how that can relate to your own life and your own potential startup. But it's been quite a roller coaster, Andrew. It's, it's been a, a learning experience for both of us as well. And yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Hopefully, people listening, you've enjoyed what you've heard so far. And I really hope that whatever episode you've dipped into, that you've taken something of interest and it's given you a little bit of inspiration or it's made you think at the very least. And we've all strived to be honest and realistic and not to pretend otherwise. So hopefully we've achieved our goals there. As Ollie, you've said, it's not the end. We're simply taking a break for the time being. In the meantime, if you're really missing us, you want to stay in touch, Ollie? Yeah, so on Twitter, we are Founded Grounded, and on Facebook, we are Founded and Grounded. And we've got a website live as well, so that's foundedandgrounded.co.uk. And we'd love to hear from you. Sign up to our mailing list. If you know an interesting speaker, a startup with a great story to tell, then please do drop us their information and I will make contact with them and do follow us on our social channels. Yeah, definitely. We're certainly going to try and pick out all the most pertinent points from the last 15 episodes and, and get them out in an easily digestible way. So as Ollie said, look out for those. But I guess with all that said and done, that's where we leave you. Ollie, I know I'll be speaking to you again in the coming weeks, but have a great summer anyway and hopefully manage to get some quality time with the family. You too, Andrew. And yeah, we'll speak soon, I'm sure. And to you listening, thank you very much indeed for listening to us. We really appreciated your time spent. You have lots of podcasts to go at, so thank you for listening to ours. And we will be back in September. But for the time being, as ever, have a safe summer. Take care. And we look forward to speaking with you again soon. You've been listening to Founded and Grounded with myself, Andrew Passage, and Ollie Collard. And we'll be back in touch with you come September time. Until then, cheerio.